Hello, everybody. I am John Allen, the editor of Crux, and this is Last Week in the Church, the show rigorously, faithfully, tirelessly, doggedly devoted to telling you things about the Vatican and the Catholic Church that, you know, pretty much you already know. Here's what we've got on this week's menu. First, the U.S. bishops line up to defy Biden. Or do they? Uh, the Vatican weighs in on America. The Pope President Summit that wasn't. A narrow win for religious freedom in the Supreme Court. And finally, married priests in the land of saints. That's what we've got for you after the break, so please stick around. All right, we begin this week with a landmark vote by the Catholic bishops of the United States on a document about the Eucharist. Now, in the abstract, you might think uh, that Catholic bishops wanting to put out a document on the Eucharist, which is the signature sacrament of the Catholic Church, right? Uh, it is what the Second Vatican Council defined as the source and summit of Christian life. That's kind of dog bites man news, right? Not, not a particularly big deal, except, except that in this case, the U.S. bishops in this document on the Eucharist are planning to include a section on Eucharistic coherence, which basically means the rules for a worthy reception of communion at Mass, which may have direct implications for the President of the United States, Joe Biden, only the second Catholic president in the history of the United States, and other Catholic politicians who support abortion rights, because it is likely to say that if you don't agree with church teaching on abortion and other life issues, including euthanasia and so on, but, but principally abortion, then probably you really shouldn't be receiving the Eucharist. Uh, now, that may embolden Catholic bishops in America who have made it clear that they personally think that President Biden ought to be denied communion when and if he presents himself for it at the Catholic Mass. Uh, now, it, when this document was up for consideration, there was a very spirited, animated, some would say raucous and unusually candid debate uh, among the bishops. Some of them said very clearly that, look, Catholic faithful want us to take a stand. They want us to make it clear that Biden and other Catholic politicians, so-called Catholic politicians who support abortion rights, that that's not okay, uh, and they want us to say something about it. Other bishops were equally forceful and clear that this is going to compromise the unity of the church in the United States, a, that it is not a good idea for the church to be publicly telling the president of the country that he is not in good standing with the church. And, you know, we're very clear that they are against this idea. Now, where, where does that leave us? 
Well, uh, the final vote here was 168 bishops in favor of moving forward with this document, 55 against it, and a couple of, of abstentions. Now, the question is, that's, that's three quarters of the American bishops who voted in favor of moving forward with this document on the Eucharist. Does that actually mean that three quarters of the Catholic bishops in the United States would be prepared to turn away the president of the country in a communion line should he happen to attend mass in their diocese? There are a variety of different answers to that question, but here's mine. The answer is no, that's not what it means. Here's the thing. There are a lot of Joe Blow bishops out there, uh, guys who are in charge of small or medium-sized dioceses. Because bear in mind, there are 196 diocesan ordinaries in the United States, that is, guys who are in charge of dioceses. There are another 40 or 50, whatever the number is, auxiliary bishops in the United States. And then there are the retired bishops who still have voting rights in the bishops' conference. <coughs> That's more than 300 Catholic bishops in the United States. And I just don't buy that all of them are in favor of communion bans for President Biden or anybody else. I, I think what happened is this. They were presented with a choice of whether or not to move forward with the document on the Eucharist in a context in which large numbers of Catholics are no longer attending Sunday Mass because of the, the suspension of public liturgies during the coronavirus pandemic, and in which polls show substantial majorities of American Catholics don't buy, don't believe church teaching that the Eucharist is literally the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Now, I think it would be a rare bishop who wouldn't be concerned about those two things. I think there are a lot of those 168 bishops who voted for this document, not because they want to deny, the, they want to deny communion to anybody, but simply because the Eucharist is worthy of a document from the bishops' conference. We will not know until November, when an actual test, text is put before the bishops, how they actually stand on this section on Eucharistic coherence. In the meantime, I think it is dangerous and misleading to read this vote as a referendum uh, on where the entire bishops' conference stands on the question of giving communion to President Joe Biden or anybody else. Secondly, the Vatican weighs in on America. In the run-up to this highly contested vote of the U.S. bishops, Spanish Jesuit Cardinal Luis Ladaria, who is the prefect of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, that is the Vatican's doctrinal watchdog agency, dispatched an unusual letter to the U.S. bishops in which he warned them against taking any steps that might compromise the unity of the church in the United States, that is, against doing anything divisive, uh, and also said 
that while it is true that issues such as abortion and euthanasia are core Catholic concerns, they should not be privileged against other key Catholic concerns that are contained in the compendium of Catholic social teaching. So these would include things like the death penalty, immigrants, the poor, and so on. Now, what is striking about this uh, is that the last time the U.S. bishops had a serious conversation about whether or not to give communion to pro-choice Catholic politicians, it was 2004. John Kerry was the Democratic nominee for president. He was a Catholic politician who supported abortion rights. The bishops were debating whether or not there should be some kind of national policy on communion bans. And the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, under then Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, who would later go on to become Pope Benedict XVI, dispatched a letter to the U.S. bishops in which Cardinal Ratzinger wrote uh, that abortion and euthanasia are not simply two issues among others, they are privileged issues, and that someone who obstinately and persistently defies those teachings should not receive communion. It was taken as bolstering one side in the debate among the U.S. bishops. Now, flash forward, uh, 17 years later to 2021, the Ladaria letter under Pope Francis is taken as bolstering precisely the opposite side among the U.S. bishops. So in that sense, it is a measure of how much things have changed in the Vatican between the John Paul Benedict years and the Pope Francis years. What impact that will have on the eventual resolution of the U.S. bishops and the language they adopt in November remains to be seen. All right, third up this week, the summit between Pope and President that didn't happen. So President Biden was in Europe last week. He was here in the U.K., which is not Europe anymore, post-Brexit, of course. Uh, but in any event, he was on this side of the Atlantic. Uh, for a G7 summit in the UK. He then traveled to Brussels for a NATO summit. And finally, he went to Geneva for a tete-a-tete -tete, uh, with Russian President Vladimir Putin. Now, it was sort of rumored, speculated, at least wondered about uh, when it was first announced that President Biden would be coming to Europe whether on this occasion he would also meet Pope Francis in Rome. Remember, just the second Roman Catholic president in the United States, a man who has met Pope Francis before, a man who takes his Catholic faith very seriously. So, you know, you understand uh, where the question came from. Uh, now, the closer the date got, the more it became clear that that meeting was not going to happen this time. Nevertheless, uh, there was a Catholic news agency, uh, an American Catholic news agency, that reported that on June 15th, that is last Tuesday, uh, that President Biden would meet Pope Francis. Just sort of said it dogmatically that this meeting is going to take place. Now, of course, 
the meeting in the end didn't take place. There was another Catholic news agency, again, an American Catholic news agency, in this case known to be liberal, uh, that wrote a, a kind of, I, you know, I would call it a semi-gloating piece uh, about how this meeting didn't happen and how it's kind of an embarrassment and how it reveals a conservative agenda. Now look, the thing is this. Uh, a former prime minister of Italy, Romano Prodi, also former head of the European Commission, told the Italian newspaper Messaggero that it is unfortunate that President Biden did not meet Pope Francis on this occasion. Uh, and he suggested that it had to do not simply with the fact that the U.S. bishops were about to vote on this document on the Eucharist, uh, but also with a strong difference between the Vatican and the United States, both under Trump and Biden on China. Uh, the Vatican, of course, has made a deal with China both the Trump administration and now the Biden administration have a fairly hard line on China. Uh, and Prodi was suggesting that those are maybe the two reasons why this meeting didn't happen and said it's too bad because there's so much uh, where the Biden administration and Pope Francis and his Vatican team agree, whether it's the environment or the poor or war and peace or whatever else. Uh, now, here's the thing. Uh, a, uh, I don't know why President Biden didn't stop in Rome, but uh, if President Biden had come to Rome to meet Pope Francis, he would also have to have met President Mattarella of Italy because it's just unthinkable that a president of the United States would come to Rome and not meet the president of Italy. Rome was not a logical stopping point. His itinerary was... Wales in the UK, and then Brussels, and then Geneva, uh, Rome would have been a significant detour. Uh, and further, we know that President Biden is coming to Rome in October for a G20 summit. It is widely, I would say almost universally assumed, uh, that he will meet Pope Francis then. Uh, and in the meantime, his Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, is coming to Rome this week and is going to meet with senior Vatican officials, possibly including Pope Francis. So I wouldn't make too much uh, out of the fact this meeting didn't happen, except that it does illustrate how every meeting between a pope and a president, whether it is intended or not, uh, is politically fraught and subject to spin of all kinds. I mean, it's kind of unfortunate that these two men can't simply sit down and have a conversation without giving somebody the opportunity to begin spinning political theories uh, and hypotheses about what it all means. Uh, but in any event, the point is, it didn't happen, but it will happen. Take it to the bank. Only the second Catholic president in the United States is going to meet the Pope, and that right soon. All right, fourth up this week. The Supreme Court of the United States last week was asked to rule uh, in the case of a Catholic adoption and foster care agency that had a policy of not placing children 
with same-sex couples or unmarried couples because the Catholic Church teaches that marriage is between a man and a woman that is permanent and that is open to new life and that it has to be ratified uh, in a marriage ceremony. Uh, and this agency, uh, the state of Georgia, had announced that it would no longer be eligible to participate in its programming. The agency sued. It made its way up. The Supreme Court, in a deliberately narrow decision, unanimously ruled in favor of this Catholic foster care and adoption agency, but left intact anti-discrimination laws in states and municipalities that are intended to protect the rights of, uh, of, of gay, lesbian, transgender, and other couples and families. Uh, and so, while this decision is not as sweeping a victory for religious freedom as some of the advocates might have wished, uh, it is nevertheless significant for two reasons. One, uh, it allows at least one particular Catholic adoption and foster care agency to continue doing what it does uh, without the threat of legal prosecution. Uh, and it was also a unanimous decision. That is, both the hardcore conservative justices of the court and the more moderate and progressive justices join in this decision. What it suggests uh, is that the Supreme Court is going to allow greater scope for religious and faith-based uh, and conscience-based uh, organizations of all kinds to do what they do uh, it, it, more than probably might have been expected uh, under a democratic president and a democratic-controlled Congress. Uh, and that in itself uh, is significant. Uh, and I, you know, I would just point out uh, that in the UK, by way of contrast, a number of years ago, the government there made the decision that adoption and foster care agencies that would not serve same-sex couples would no longer uh, be supported by the federal government. Uh, and Catholic agencies either had to shut down or they had to sever their ties with the church and reincorporate civilly uh, in order to stay in business. So by way of contrast, uh, it's probably the case that this is you know, a fairly significant decision by the Supreme Court uh, for, for agencies that are explicitly Catholic or Christian and as best they can try to uphold their values in the way they do business. We will see what this means going forward, but in the meantime, uh, you know, uh, this is not nothing. Uh, it's an important moment. All right, finally, here in Italy, Umbria, which is a region of central Italy. It's located north of Rome, south of Milan, kind of in the middle there. Umbria is by tradition known as the land of saints. Umbria is where St. Benedict was born. It's where St. Rita was born. It's where St. Francis of Assisi was born. 
it's where so many great figures, I mean, most recently, just last year, a new blessed, a new beato, Carlo Acuta, was beatified. Uh, he is also from Assisi in Umbria, kind of young Catholic kid, a techie, uh, who died really early and who died as an extraordinary, extraordinarily faithful Catholic who had an enormous impact on his friends and his schoolmates in terms of drawing them into the faith. I mean, Umbria is just soaked in sanctity, okay? Now, here's a story that has occurred also in Umbria over the last three months. In the last three months, that is from April to June, three different Catholic priests have left the priesthood because they fell in love with adult women and wanted to get married. Uh, we are talking about Father Ricardo uh, Cecobelli. Uh, we are talking about Father Simone Benvenuti and Father Davide uh, Tanantini. Two of them, by the way, were the pastor and the associate pastor in the same parish in Umbria. All of them independently developed relationships with adult women, fell in love, and decided to get married. Now, I, I want to stress all of them there is no scandal here because all of them have followed the rules. They have all requested the dispensation from their vows from the Vatican that is required in a case like this. One of them, Father Davide, we know has gotten that dispensation because he announced it publicly. We don't know about the other two, but presumably that's probably the case. Uh, and by reputation, all of them were very popular pastors and priests, very beloved by their people. There were no blemishes on their record prior to this. Uh, and uh, everybody who has been interviewed from the parishes in which they served said they will be sorry to see them go. Now, for many Italian commentators, this has revived the whole debate about married priests. Remember that Pope Francis still has in front of him a recommendation from the Senate of Bishops on the Amazon to expand experiments with married priests, to expand permission for married priests. Now, many Italian commentators are looking at this and saying, well, look, you know, this is a time in which parried, you know, parish priests are hard to find. These two guys who came from the same parish they were from a city in Umbria. It's a city of about 30,000 people. Like, you know, uh, to find two more priests to slot into these, to those roles isn't the easiest thing in the world. Uh, and a lot of Italians are saying, well, you know, if we just could give permission for these guys to be married, uh, they were otherwise really good priests. We liked them a lot. You know, why wouldn't that be a good idea? Uh, now, of course, it remains to be seen what Pope Francis may or may not do about this. He's, he's had that recommendation from the Senate for the Amazon in front of him for almost two years and, and still has not taken any steps uh, in that regard. But this is a small but poignant reminder on the Pope's doorstep uh, that the debate over married priests is not going away. Some Italian Catholics are saying, Look, with St. Benedict, 
Umbria gave us monastic life. With Francis, Umbria gave us the mendicant life. Maybe today, these three priests, that is, Don, Dons, Ricardo, Samuele, and Davide, are giving us married priests' life. We will see. Uh, but uh, this is a reminder, anyway, uh, that the debate over married priests in the Catholic Church, far from fading away, is still very much a real and present force in church life. All right, you can find full coverage of all of the stories we have talked about on this week's show on the Crux site. That is cruxnow.com, cruxnow.com. Your one-stop shopping destination for the very best in smart, wired, independent Catholic journalism. When you visit the site, and I trust all of you will, you will find that we are in the middle of our online fundraising drive. If you can find it within your bank account and your heart to give us some help, we would be deeply grateful. Also want to remind you that if you like this week in the church, if you like this show, please, Go on to Twitter, go on to Facebook, give us a like, give us a thumbs up, give us a retweet. Go on to the social media platform of your choice and make disciples of all the nations because we want to expand the audience for this show and get it in front of as many eyeballs as possible. I will see you next Monday. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, have a fantastic and blessed week. Keep reading Crux. We will talk to you next Monday.